Welcome to the Diageo Bar Academy Bar Chat Podcast. I'm Tristan Stevenson. Today, I'm joined remotely by Rebecca Dooley and Addie Chin. Rebecca manages marketing and social media for the Umbrella Group in London and is the co-editor of Discard Magazine. She's previously managed social media for Kalukale in London and oversaw communications and social media for the Dead Rabbit in New York through the peak of its powers as the world's best bar. Addie is a UK-based drinks photographer who has worked with many brands and bars and photographed for numerous drinks books, including all of mine. The topic of today's discussion is centered around social media. We discuss how to establish a social media presence, how to identify your brand values and communicate them successfully, when to post content and where to post it, how to generate good content, photography skills, photography equipment, how to deal with feedback, both positive and negative, the shortcomings of social media, and much, much more. This is a super insightful podcast with plenty to take away. I am joined today by Rebecca Dooley and Addy Chin. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Hi. Thanks for having us. I want to hand over to both of you just for a bit to give a little bit of information about who you are, where you've come from, what it is you've done in the industry thus far, and um, what your current role is as well. So, Rebecca, do you want to go first? So I've been working in the bar industry for about 10 years. My first job was at Milk and Honey working on the door. Um, I went to Clue Clay also as a reservationist and then ended up there five years later as their marketing and events manager. I went freelance for a bit, worked on some brand bits and then was the head of bar communications at the London edition. And then I went to New York, did Dead Rabbit and Blacktail, again, uh, marketing, PR and events and came back about a year ago to London and I'm working with the Umbrella Project again, on marketing events and, and a bit of PR. So that's the Sun Tavern and Discount Soup Company and Umbrella Brewing. Um, so it's a little independent company with various offshoots, still little different projects. Fantastic. Cool. We'll get into some more of uh, the activities you're doing and how I have done in those venues shortly. Go on then, Addy, your turn. Uh, so I'm a... Um... I now say I'm a drinks and still life photographer, mostly because this is where I get to photograph other things. But um, I worked behind the bar for almost 10 years uh, at a bunch of bars that no longer exist because I'm quite old. Uh, I then went agency side for sort of seven, eight years as a copywriter, as a brand strategist, uh, mostly in, uh, for the drink sector, for, for brands to help uh, agencies connect with the drinks world. Um uh, and then I started taking photographs of drinks professionally. I began in clubs. I photographed drinks books for people like you, Tris, mostly you, Tris. Um, we've done, what, seven odd books together, eight maybe. Uh, and I shoot for a lot of brands, big brands, small brands, big bars, small bars. Um, and lately I've been shooting a lot more CBD brands and non-alc drink, which I'm very happy to talk about later. Cool. Good stuff. Yeah, it should, we should preface this by saying that Addy and I have spent way too much time in cars together traveling between distilleries to, to, to make books. Um, so if at all, we kind of just seem like totally disenfranchised with each other, <laughs> then it's just purely due to sustained um, and prolonged and sometimes torturous exposure to one another. <laughs> it's it like a married couple at this stage. I do think I've probably spent more time with you than any partner thus far in my life. Yeah, Probably, yeah. Yeah, probably. And same, vice versa. And I'm hopeful that Addy can give us some tips on, you know, how to make these these shots uh, really stand out. Um, because so many bars now sort of base their social media presence around photography, or at least that's what I think. Rebecca, do you? Yeah, for sure. Like uh, Instagram is one of the fastest growing social media channels at the moment, and that is all image-based. I think Addy and I were chatting about that earlier. Uh, Facebook, obviously, there's a lot of imagery, but text and wording is also super important. But we're definitely moving towards uh, or in the midst of a huge photography and video is where it's at, which is why people like Addy are so important. Mm. So, yeah, this is an important one, actually. Facebook obviously tends to be more text dense, perhaps event orientated posting. And the quality of the photography doesn't necessarily need to meet the same sort of strict standards as what I see on Instagram, where there's almost like a kind of digital filter there, whereby on these like grid posts, it's expected there's at least some element of quality to it, or at least that's the way I find it. So how do you think uh, a bar or a bartender, because we are talking about, you know, 
personal marketing in the current climate as well. This is a lot more bar- bartenders uh, trying to kind of turn themselves into a brand. How do you think they should use the two platforms differently, Facebook versus Instagram? Um, well, I use both Facebook and Instagram, even a bit of Twitter now and then, which feels really old school now. Use them both, but obviously use them differently. So anything longer, a bit more informative goes on Facebook. Even if we're talking about the same thing, like an event, it will be a longer thing on Facebook. And then we shorten down the text for Instagram. Uh, maybe use a carousel option for images, which doesn't really translate as well. On Facebook, when you post like a multitude of photos in one thing, it doesn't really look great. Um, doesn't get the same amount of traction. Obviously, we have Instagram stories, which people watch a lot more than they watch Facebook uh, stories. I don't know if you guys ever... Does anyone watch Facebook stories? No. Well, you can tell, can't you? Because you can see how many people have done your Instagram story, and it's usually like, what, 10 or 15% of the number on Facebook? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I think the only time I've really clicked on Facebook stories is by accident. Mm. (laughs) the the desktop it happens so obviously they're both uh, part of social media but they are different animals and should be treated as such and you mentioned twitter what about twitter like is there a function for twitter in in bars and also like you've because you've worked in the states as well do these different platforms function the same way in different parts of the world as far as you see it well i think yeah in, in the western world so the uk and america are pretty similar in the way that we use social media but if you look at asia it's entirely different and different different demographics and i think the way that people behave on social media is different around the world but in the states it's really not that dissimilar to here um twitter i think that each social media platform has found its own identity so twitter is more like news focused now but yeah it's very much like quick little snippets but people go there for information um like you know if instagram is down or facebook is down the first place you can find that out is on twitter and it'll be like hashtag instagram down or hashtag facebook down so i go to twitter for news sometimes well i think that's that is twitter isn't it it's like if you want to be if we consider news to be like um you know uh food then twitter's the fast food of of that it's not necessarily going to be particularly nutritious it might lead to a more nutritious diet like perhaps through clicking out of it but if you want something quick like it's like the takeaway coffee that's a really Um, good comparison yeah did you see any bars that are using or bartenders that are using twitter in a you know in a really good way is anyone doing that a lot of people just use it to cross share. So they'll just post their Instagram pictures to Twitter, which I advise against. Um, there's no real purpose in it. And I think with social media, in most industries, what you're doing is using up people's time and you're asking for their attention. And if you're not, if you're wasting their time, then that never really sits well with someone. Like if you're just posting a link to an Instagram picture, it doesn't really, it's not enriching anyone's life. It's not really doing anything useful. Um, do you know that uh, place Mangal 2, the kebab shop? They use Twitter incredibly well. Um, they're very funny. They're very witty. They post a lot of stuff about football and politics. It has absolutely nothing to do with kebabs. Um, but their, yeah, their Twitter is, is great. I would recommend right so they're kind of using that social media platform as a sort of sort of providing entertainment yeah that then becomes associated with their brand that is clever isn't it and i suppose twitter probably more than instagram or facebook is good for that sort of short bites yeah. of funny quips yeah. or whatever but talking about the cross-posting thing i guess the assumption for you know people that manage social media accounts is that perhaps there's a different audience on Twitter who won't have already digested whatever piece of news it is through Instagram or Facebook. But do you think that's a lazy assumption? I think that if that's the case, you can still post content to Twitter, but not just, you don't auto post it. So adjust your content for the Mm. platform. Because if you share something from Instagram to Twitter and they have to click on that link to, it takes them somewhere else, you can just post a photo to Twitter. You can even use the same caption or make it shorter. But you're, if as long as you're not making it hard harder for the user, like it should be hard for you and easy for them. Like cross sharing is yeah. easy for you, but it's not easy for the person who's using or viewing your content. So you should be doing the work so that they don't have to do the work. I mean, Addy, you're not you're not um, a bartender as such, but you are a sort of person. You're a brand in itself, albeit photography in the drinks industry. So using you as a case study as an individual, how is it you go about using social media to promote? what you do. Mm, That's interesting. I mean, I suppose 
I always think the different social media platforms are reliant on which demographic you're trying to connect with. So I feel like the Twitter demographic, as we just said, is very different to the Facebook demographic and Instagram demographic. Like there are overlaps, but if, you know, uh, Instagram's inherently visual, so almost all of my social media time that I spend on it is on Instagram. Um, I, I check into Facebook like once a week, mostly just to monitor messaging. It's like social media evolves, eh? So in my head, it was like my time was on Twitter, then my time was on Facebook, and then my time was on Instagram. Now my time's on Instagram stories most of the time. When are you migrating to TikTok? Um, When I look about 20 years younger than I do, otherwise it's just creepy. Talking of TikTok, do you think, Rebecca, there's like anything relevant for bars or bartenders in TikTok? I've looked into it a bit, but I think that age range is like 14 or something to 24. Um, yeah. similar to Snapchat. So I don't, I don't think it's really existing for us at the moment. If you're, let's say you're a bar, how do you go about first establishing some sort of presence on social media? And this one is probably directed more at you, Rebecca, since this is what you basically do or have done. Yeah. Um, so I think before you even look at online marketing, you need to kind of go back a bit to traditional marketing, I suppose, the most important part of which is your brand identity and building your brand. So before you start communicating anything, you need to make sure that what you want to communicate is watertight and that it makes complete sense. Um, So if we look at brand identity as being the thing that we curate, like what we think our brand is and who we are, and then brand image is how we're perceived. And the bit that happens in the middle is marketing, of which social media and online marketing is now a huge part. Um, but before you start sharing any of that, it's definitely just making sure that you're happy with what you want to communicate. And that includes visuals like photography, uh, your visual style, making that, that sure that that's cohesive and consistent and tone of voice. Um, all of those things need to be in place and nailed before you start sharing them mm. with an audience. Uh, And then just making sure before you go on social media, your content online, so your Google bar listing, uh, even Yelp, TripAdvisor, all of these free resources, which we kind of hate in the bar industry, but they're free resources. And I think it's 89% of people look up a bar or restaurant now before they visit it. So you need to make sure that you have this presence online, like on the basics, uh, like Google's the most visited website in the world. You need to have a presence there before you like look at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. Um, so for me, that would be step one, making sure everything's in place before you start talking about it. I think it, actually it's easy to misplace um, Google, Yelp, TripAdvisor as not being forms of social media, but they are. Agreed. Yeah, your website still is, right? It's still there to engage people and get to communicate with you. A hundred percent, yeah. And you can fit so much more content on your website than you can on social media, like your your menu, I mean, the essentials, like your menu, your opening hours, your location, how to book a table, even if you wanted to do like private hire, all of that stuff is on your website. Um, and that all needs to be readily available. So not social media necessarily, but it's online marketing and it's important stuff. I mean, in your website, you have all that lovely space as well to, to yes. I guess, expand on your brand image. That's vital. Yeah, I mean, I, I was going to ask though, I remember a few years back, certain brands started basically killing off their websites and moving on to like, you know, a purely Facebook driven kind of presence. You know, do you think that there, you know, do you think it's possible for a bar to operate purely off Instagram and Facebook at this stage? And if not now, do you think we might be shifting towards that and, and, you know, seeing the, the death of the website? Yeah, I mean, I think people do it. Like, do Attaboy have a website? I'm not sure. Um, Milk and Honey do still have an, a, a website. I assume they have no social media. So there are some people who are super old school and just do website, no social. But I guess that's, and PDT as well, I think are an example. That's a kind of like old school speakeasy. That's where your brand identity is paired with your online presence. But I, as Addy said, uh, you have so much more space on your website. I would never personally forego having a website because... Uh, there's just so much opportunity to share content. I do think now we're more minimalist, like a website with less content, only the essentials is what people, people probably react better to that because they've become conditioned by things like Instagram and Twitter where the character count is limited and also limited by what people pay attention to. Uh, So me personally, I would never not have a website because I like information. Um, But also 
you know, I'm not that. Uh, there are more people just coming into the the game, I guess, who are going to change things that might do things very differently. I'm sure they will do things differently, but I would miss it if bars didn't have websites. I want to look at menus and like spirits lists and all those kind of things. Yeah, I think for the menu for sure. Back 20 years ago, you had a phone and perhaps a postman. Now you still have those two things, but you have a website, you have an email address, um, you have Instagram, Facebook, uh, you have TripAdvisor, I guess, is a way of communicating with a business, as is Google um, Review, in fact, indeed, any review website. So, and it's, this is why it's created the whole role of like, you know, a social media manager, um, because that's a fair few different communication methods to have to deal with simultaneously. Um, especially when people are asking many different things from you. It might be like, do you accept dogs? Or it could be, I want to book a private party for X number of people on this date. It could just be, I want a table for two in half an hour. Um, so you, there, it, it becomes an extremely complex way of, of communicating with your guests. And I don't know, speaking personally from a, from a bar operator, what we have gone to great pains to to achieve is to try and channel people through the correct means of of communication so that we can deal with their needs in the most efficient way i mean how, so how do you manage that is that like a message on your facebook and instagram saying for bookings please call this number yeah it's either going to an email yeah. address or a number or um yeah basically one of those two uh, or both in fact we offer both i think so because we, well, uh, you know, for example, our social media manager can't physically is incapable of managing bookings. They just don't yeah. have access to the bookings system. So their only option then is to divert the inquiry somewhere else. Mm. Um, but uh, so this is an interesting point. Um, I mean, you, you made, Addy, that you think that you ought to be um, as accessible to a potential guest client customers are possible what do you think rebecca um i think that it is incredibly frustrating especially if we said about instagram now you have three different inboxes like requested general and then primary um so you have three inboxes on instagram alone and it's definitely hard to keep on top of um but yeah as many ways as a guest can communicate with you it's it can only be a good thing even if it's pain to keep on top mm. of but and i think making sure you have an infrastructure in place so making sure you know how you deal with those, those inquiries like do you accept mm. bookings over a direct message or on instagram like what do you say to these people making sure that that system is there so that you're never caught short or so that you never disappoint mm. someone or miss a message or say the wrong thing um and it is hard i have a similar thing like i don't manage any bookings but I deal with a bookings manager because I have to pass on all those inquiries and making that as seamless and easy as possible for us and for the guest as well. But it's a, it's a lot of stuff. Yeah. Be great if someone could just invent a bit of technology that filtered it all into one. That would be amazing. Like a nice sexy API that just went, here's your text message. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, you can get apps now that kind of combine all your different chat programs into one thing so it just needs to be more hospitality specific maybe because it'd be great if it was like a little ai that chimed in with your reservation system at the same time um we'll get there one day maybe um so i mean rebecca do you when you're sort of do you create like a kind of template like a, a plan of communications through social media when you're looking because were you on were you on the opening team at dead rabbit or did you come in later i was there like two years two years after it opened oh, okay cool but even so you know do you would you would you put together a kind of six month 12 month plan or three months or one month whatever it might be there are things that you know are going to happen um like halloween father's day valentine's day margarita day there's everything every kind of holiday you can imagine now in the calendar um so there are things that you can plan for um but i think that with social media it's so important to be authentic and genuine and i do think that if you i just think if you write something six months in advance um it loses its authenticity. So there are things that you can pencil in and like always have like a rough plan, like a month in advance, or perhaps even longer for things that you know are going to happen. Like if London Cocktail Week, you know, that's happening in, in October, you're going to need to have a plan for that in place and usually work with 
a PR team or whoever you work with to do your PR, if you do that, uh, make sure they're in the loop so that everyone's on the same page. But I personally don't like long lead social media plans because I think it just takes away the personality of it all. Um, and I think when you interact with people on social media, even as a business, you kind of have to treat those people as your friends, uh, which might sound a bit lame. But if you if you're right, I just think if you're writing content too far in advance and it sounds fake, it's all, it's never gonna feel real enough. But uh, maybe that's personal preference. There are things even like the weather. Uh, like if it's sunny, you can promote your frozen drink. I don't know. And three months ago, I didn't know it was going to be sunny today. So that wouldn't have been on my social media schedule. Um, if you have air conditioning, like if it's raining, if, some, if something happens in the news that you can make a funny joke about, if the football's on, like all of these things you can't plan in advance. So maybe there's one or two things a week that you know in advance are going to happen, but the other things you have to play by ear so that it makes sense. Like I can write something six months ago that would make sense today because things happen. I think also it takes away some of the social side of it, right? I mean, it's supposed to be a dialogue, you know, a sort of conversation almost. Yeah, you're promoting something, but you're you're looking for a response. Mm -hmm. And if you're, you know, if I'm, if I'm starting a conversation now that I'm going to have with you in six months time, it's probably not gonna be the best quality. That's weird. Yeah, it's a weird way to do things. Yeah, but I, I do think that uh, with social media, you can bend the rules, like it's how people work best, because social media should be about people. And if I, if that's how I work, then that's what works for me. And if how some, someone else wants to plan everything, be super strategic and they get success with that, then that's also viable and, and relevant and makes sense. Like, I don't think there's any super strict rules as to what you should do. It's just what works. And every business is different. So what works for me is different to what works for another business. Um, so just leading on from what you're just saying, Rebecca, how often is the right amount to post that's a really bad way of phrasing that question no that makes Grab sense <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I understand what you're saying um there is no right or wrong answer to this because it depends on your business um i'm often asked when i work for people to do a certain amount of posts a week be that five six or seven and i think that's really the wrong way to approach something because like we were saying about being personable and being real, if you're being told you need to have five conversation topics per week, that's not how we engage with people. That's not how we interact. So one week there might only be two things and you shouldn't have to think of three other things that are interesting. Like if it takes you a long time to think of something that's interesting, it's not interesting. Don't mm. post it. Just to fill your five posts a week quota, it's dull and you're probably going to lose followers and people are, it's going to be damaging in the long term. So... I think uh, that being said, some people can post every day, like Top Cuvée are incredibly active on Instagram and people love it and react very well to it. But I don't think that you should post to fill a, a quota just so that you can say, oh, I fill, filled my contract, I did five posts for you. I think, um, I think the food analogy is pretty apt again, isn't it? I mean, you know, quality and quantity. But it's, no, it's knowing your audience, right? I mean, some people, you know, with the food analogy, they're at this trough and they just want to eat it up, you know, and they're, they're not too um, discriminating or um, discerning when it comes to the quality of the of the, the swill that's being piped into this trough. Whereas in other cases, it's fine dining, you know, I want, you know, curated, precise to the point content that, you know, really piques my interest and gets me thinking about the product, the person, the bar, the bartender, um, and, you know, sort of sells you into the brand that way. And I think, again, it's about mm. demographic and, and the platform, of course, they're yeah. all related, knowing your demographic, knowing your platform, and then delivering content yeah. in the right way. Great. I was just going to kind of, I guess, reiterate what you said that there's an idea that there's a one size fits all for social media. Like this is what you should do. This is when you should post. Uh, this is what day, this is what time. And it's just, yeah, it's just, it's not the case. So we do need to tailor what we do for our audience. Hmm. Um, is there any data though, that that is useful in that sense? So a good time of day and a good number of posts that we, that is a general rule of thumb for a bar or a bartender? Um, there's data that's available. But uh, if you look at if you have Google Analytics, and Facebook insights and Instagram analytics, they will give you that data. So if, if you go on Instagram, it will tell you what time your users are online, um, what days of a week, and you just post according to that. 
Um, I have previously, I keep like Excel sheets of different categories of content to see how well they performed. So like a food post, a drinks post, a team post, an events post, and then kind of tally them up and see what's doing well and what's not doing well. Like maybe our audience doesn't react well to food posts or, and so we drop the number of food posts that we're doing per month. Um, so you can be really analytical about it. And I feel like you should be analytical about it because the data is there. So you should listen to it and then that can kind of inform the strategy that you put in place. I think this is an important point because a lot of bars and we've certainly been guilty of this in the past. And I'm sure there are many people, you know, are proactive in sort of trying to establish a social media presence and they're putting out posts regularly, but it really pays dividends to then, you know, have a look at the data mm. and then react in an appropriate way to the data so that you're making the most of the post you're putting out rather than just like flinging it out into the ether. Fingers crossed, guys. It's there for the taking, so I don't know why you would ever not not use it. And it can be really interesting. Uh, like you can see where your users live and how old they are and what gender they are and what other pages they like. Um, one of the things that I like most about Facebook Insights is that it shows you your biggest competitors and you can follow their pages as well so you get their analytics. But I think, yeah, using the, all the free tools that are available is really, really important. Yeah, for sure. Um, how do we know that all of this is actually making a difference to the bottom line? You know, we can obviously quantify likes and we can react, it, as we've just discussed, look at the data and post in, you know, more appropriate content or at better times of the day or with a differing regularity. Um, and we can potentially see more likes from that or more interactions, comments, that kind of stuff. But do we have any sort of real way of knowing that this is affecting the bottom line of the business and actually getting more people through the door? And a similar question would be, does it matter? Wait a second, I'm asking you <laughs> but this. Like, but I think my response to it is, <laughs> sometimes something about social media shouldn't always be about sales. Sometimes what you, should, what you can be doing with your social media platform is just expressing yourself as a brand. And sometimes that can be enough. Well, look, it can be certainly be it can certainly be looked as like an added value component of the brand. So, and that it, um, I guess, helps people invest further into it. But at the end of the day, that you're going to want that yeah. to result in more drinks sold, um, or more people through the door, or a higher spend per head. Um, so, do I mean, do we? I guess for events marketing, you can sort of see the interaction there and, and you can sell tickets and that kind of stuff. But from day-to-day -day social media posts, what can we glean from the interactions that might suggest that more people are spending money in the venue? Um, I think it's hard because marketing is something that's like in the ether. It's hard to measure it into something that feels tangible. And um, there are ways to do that. We mentioned Google Analytics where you can see where your online traffic is coming from. Um, so, for example, when we launched Discord and I looked at the analytics, I was so surprised to see like 60% of our traffic came from Facebook. And as a kind of heavy Instagram user, I didn't expect that to happen. Um, when you have a venue, uh, you look at your Google Analytics, and you, if that happened, you had 60% of your web traffic is coming from Facebook. If they click on the bookings page, or you can even, even measure how many of them clicked on the book a table button, then you know that Facebook has generated. They might not all have resulted in emails but um, in bookings, but then you can also measure how many booking inquiries result in bookings. So you can reach a tangible number where Facebook got me this many bookings this month. Um, another way to do it is if you do a drinks offer, which I know doesn't mean to everyone, but if you do a drinks offer on Instagram to see how many people take that up and you know that it's only been promoted on Instagram. Yeah, that's a good way of doing it, right? Yeah. So it's sort of selective marketing only in certain meet um, through certain mediums. So no marketing at the venue as as such, or or maybe only marketing inside the venue. Yeah. Um, so that anyone who comes in asking about it, you know, must have yeah. found out through. Or if, if you do like a discount code for online shopping, obviously a lot of people have been doing online stores. You could have a different discount code on Instagram, Facebook, your newsletter and your website. Mm. So you know wh whoever uses whatever discount code, you know where they've come from. Um, so that, yeah, there are, there are ways to kind of gauge whether or not it's working. But I mean, you've got to assume, right, if you've got a good social media presence, lots of followers and, um, and, and interactions that 
it's probably resulting in a happy, healthy, well, healthy, you know, turnover of, of business. I mean, it would be an unusual instance where you've got this kind of cult following for a bar online and yet you go there and it's it's empty, like, you know. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, so let's talk content itself. And um, Addy, you've actually been surprisingly useful up to this point, but we're really going to start leaning on you a little bit more now. Um, because it seems to me that so much of content, besides promoting specific events, has to be backed up or, or even led by great photography. Um, I, actually, first, back over to you, Rebecca. Do you, I mean, why do, do you see the value of photography in all of this? I think it's so important, especially when we're looking at such visual mediums, um, ways of communication. It, what you put on social media reflects your brand on your website, on your newsletter, on every online platform, or indeed in print. Um, so having something that you think accurately um, reflects what you do to the standard that you do what you do, I think is really important. And working with a photographer who understands your brand and can take direction or maybe doesn't even need direction, but understands what it is that you're trying to portray. I think that way back when I was doing Twitter for Kalu Clay eight years ago on an iPhone 4 taking pictures, that was fine. But and like putting a little filter on it, but it's just not fine now. I think people expect so much more. Okay, so do you think it can be done on an iPhone? Because iPhones have got better. <laughs> yeah, I think the camera on the iPhone X Pro or whatever it is is really good, and I think it's fine. It's, I think it's okay for social media. If you need to take something of the moment, like that's happening, not for a menu photo shoot, for example, but if something that's happening that weekend, like a picture that you take in the bar of a drink special or a guest bartender, um, I think it's okay. I have often given talks to brands, bars, and bar managers, and at various international like bar talk things that no longer happen about how to take better photos. And um, I think it's resulted in more people taking photos of their own bars and their own drinks, which is great. But I think there's a, I guess it's like horses for courses, as you were saying. It's like if you need a quick shot, it's great. Can you take a banging photo of your drink that's exceptional with your phone? Of course you can. There's National Geographic photographers who use their phones. I would argue that they're all National Geographic photographers who have their phones with them. So maybe you still need to be like a decent photographer in the first place. Um, that doesn't mean you need to be a pro. Uh, it just means you need to be a decent photographer. I'd also argue that there's um, there's a case to be held for bars should just invest a bit of money in keeping a camera behind a bar maybe. To take a good photograph of a drink, uh, you need to be telling a story either of, of that drink or of your brand or of your bar or ideally all of them and using lots of visual things to go into it. I mean, I don't think it really matters what you use to take the photograph. I do. But I don't think it matters that much. And I think if you take a great image with an iPhone 3 that's kicking around or like an old manual camera on film, if it's an exceptional image and it does the job, it's an exceptional image that does the job. I think um, that, uh, and, you know, a modern smartphone, because there are other brands available, um, <laughs> for, for social media has, e and you correct me if I'm wrong, has easily sufficient sort of, photographic capabilities as in sensor and lens to take photography for social media but my understanding of photography is that you need two other things to that you need good composition like it needs to actually the, the, the photograph needs to look visually pleasing and to tell a story and you also need good light and light light seems to me at least 50 percent of good photography probably more like 70 percent of good photography and this is where a lot of bars fall foul because they're dimly lit places for various reasons. And what you often find with poor quality photography, I think, on social media is they just haven't lit it properly. And the phone could have done a good enough job and it might even be the composition is fine as well. And it's a good looking drink. But because it's dark, it ends up looking either slightly blurred because that the you know the the shutters opened up too wide, or the the um, the ISOs you know all off the chart on it, and so it's all sort of pixelated and and looks looks rough. And you think to yourself, well, look, actually, you just need to understand better how to set up the shot before you take it. There's a big talk I do where um, I talk about how like, the origin of the word photography is, is, is a, it literally means like drawing with light or writing with light. Like light is photography. You can't, uh, there's no way around that. Um, however, you can have great lighting and still take a terrible photograph. 
like I think you're right. It's like composition and and lighting and narrative and like I mean so many things. Uh, technically, I would say that not only is uh, not only are smartphones, whichever brand you use, enough for social media. I'd argue that social media is designed for images that come out of smartphones. I also really enjoy sometimes shooting with XR. I shoot a lot of my stuff now. Uh, moved moved over towards medium format kit which is just in terms of camera cost i'm probably shooting sort of 10 grand's worth of kit when i take a photograph and i I find it wonderful that i'm taking using 10 grand's worth of kit and nearly a decade's worth of experience to photograph an image that goes on a phone that is then viewed on a on the screen of an iphone but also that people then say can a photo taken on an iPhone be as good as the one you just took with the 10 grand's worth of kit? And it's like, yes, of course it can. It's just not going to look like the one taken with 10 grand's worth of kit because you're talking about some of the best optics available in lenses and mind-blowing technology in resolution and sensors and, and dynamic range and like all sorts of boring technical things that do result in a significantly better image. But I guess you also then go, right, what's good enough? Mm. Okay, so look, practical advice for a bar or bartender that wants to take better quality photos. And let's say, let's give it a budget. Let's say they've got 300 quid to play with to, to in order to buy kit. Let's, let's also pretend that, you know, they're going to learn how to take better photos. What are they going to spend the 300 I'd, quid? I was going to say that. I was like, actually, the first thing I would say to do, I mean... I thought your answer would be that they should spend it on lights. Like... No, uh, actually, you're just being, I think you're one just of the things you're going against me for just for the sake of it. I know you are. No, of course I'm not. I never do that <laughs> um, for for many thousands of miles. One of the um, no, I would say the thing you should buy first is a decent camera with a decent lens. Um, I was always taught, and I think the same is still very much true in a digital age that you should. We, we were taught invest in glass, not in bodies. Like the lens you buy will outlast many, many camera bodies that you change through. Uh, I, I shoot on Nikon. Mm or Fuji medium format. And my Nikons, I'm still using lenses I bought that I bought secondhand when I was 18. Like there's still a lens I use regularly in commercial shoots. And it's not the sharpest, but the quality on it is beautiful. Um, That's changing now that cameras like, camera companies like Nikon and Canon are both moving over to mirrorless. If you're into photography, it's quite an interesting step that they're both making. They're moving away from SLRs, which is how photography has been for decades. Um, so that's some of those lenses you need adapters for, but I would say pick a brand. They're all great. Go Sony, go Nikon, go Canon. Doesn't really matter. Um, buy whatever you can afford. It's going to be more than 300 quid. You're not going to get great for 300 quid because, because cameras are digital now, they age, they're out of date so quickly. Yeah. But are they Um, out of date in the sort of what we need them for, for social media? I mean, like, you know, a decent four or 500 quid. You'll get like five years. You'll get five years out of your camera. I'm quite sure. Where do you see social media going in five years in that, like a 50 megapixel camera? It's not going to be. Yeah, but you're not spending 300 pounds on a 50 megapixel camera. Well, what will 300 quid get me in terms of, I mean, megapixels are pretty dreadful way actually great. uh, Terrible. Probably like a 20 megapixel on a crop sensor. Like if that, for people that means anything to you, I reckon you could probably buy that. Um, Is it worth spending, uh, is is there a sort of point of diminishing returns here? Not a point of diminishing returns, but is is it like the case that your iPhone's actually going to be good enough up to, until you start spending at least 500 quid? Yeah, I would say that the brackets are under 500 quid, up to a grand, and then at like the three grand mark. And for more for more just global terminology, we're talking about 500 pounds GBP, and then 1000 pounds, that being a grand. Which weirdly equates to roughly the same price in dollars, like it's still $1,000 is $1,000 pounds for technology. It's very irritating when you're over yeah. there. Um, or euros. I'd say 500 pounds is a good price to pay. You'll buy yourself a nice like entry level that's a good phrase to be googling like entry level nikon with a kit lens i.e it comes with a big zoom lens in the box with the camera and you're good to go if after that you're engaged with it then you can start investing in it but that will help you significantly and then the next one after that is i'd say i would say don't rush to buy lights i think a, a, a drink shot that's lit with a good bit of window will look significantly better than 300 pounds dropped on some mediocre led lights that you don't really know what you're then doing with i think once you start using artificial lighting it requires an extra level of experience and learning to do a great job so what you're saying is that the average window is better 
than than an inexperienced lighting technician on a on a on a photo shoot. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, there are there are pro level uh, fashion photographers who still don't use strobes and LEDs or anything like that. They just use natural light. They just use natural light. Hey, wow. Whatever the weather. You can't, you know, whatever well, whatever the weather. And then you learn to adapt with it. And then you crank your ISO up and play with all your things. You know, I think Windows is what I normally... I, I think you're, a good window is your best bet for food or drink photography if you're running a bar. And if, if that then, like another great bit of advice I always say for bartenders is if you're trying to shoot your drink or your bar, don't do it during your normal after sunset operational hours. Like a, a question I quite I get quite often is I came up with a great drink after my shift. And I tried to photograph and it looked terrible. And it's like, well, it's two o'clock in the morning. You're probably exhausted and there's no light in your bar. Um, you know, do it at, do it in the morning, go in in the morning, clean a spot near a window and work over there and, and work at angles. And also look at, uh, look at your favorite drink photographs. Hopefully they're mine <laughs> and try and work out where the light's coming from them. Look, work out how it's lit. And then the best way to do that is um, the trick is always have a look where the shadows fall. And wherever the shadows fall, the light is on the opposite side from there. And that's usually a very good way to work out where the light's coming from. That gives you an idea of um, how to light glassware, how to light transparent drinks, how to light opaque drinks, how to light multiple drinks, how to mm. light dark bottles of whiskey versus clear bottles of vodka. It's, there's, it, as with all the social media stuff we said, there's no one And that, that's pretty good advice for if you're, say, in a basement and you don't have a window and you are going to need to buy a light then you need to you can work it out backwards yeah. you know you like reverse engineer a photo i definitely learn almost everything i've got you know i, I never studied photography my, my i've got two degrees and they're both pointless and academic um my photography is experiences through learning and i think the best thing you can do is pick photos you love and reverse engineer them hmm. same with the drink right like you when you start learning how drinks work you go to a bar and if that bar does something particularly well you try and reverse engineer it in your head and then you go and practice and the more you get used to reverse engineering drinks the more you get, the more, the faster you're able to do it and the easier you're able to mm. do it. Yeah. Uh, and I think the same is true with photography. And then the other bit of advice I'd say to everyone is um, the amount of diligence and care and passion and thoughtfulness that goes into creating great drinks. All of those aspects should be going to creating great photos of those great drinks. If social media is advertising, why not advertising, why not advertise your drink or your venue or your bartender to the best level you possibly can? And if you've got the budget, that means employ a professional photographer. And if it doesn't, it means at least employ time and thought and pay attention. And if it's not good enough, don't post it. Yeah, and it's in for a penny and for a pound in a way, isn't it? Because yeah. there's no point employing a, a um, you know, top-notch photographer and then not having you know, uh, someone running social media who has the skill or marketing or a PR company to be able to use those assets, as they call them in the industry, assets. Um, yeah. to actually promote the business. Also a great, you know, I think another thing in, uh, at, at the risk of trying to tell everyone they should hire me, another good advantage of like having great photos, whether it's taken by me or somebody else, is you can reuse a great photograph to tell many stories in the hands of a good storyteller. You know, going back to that thing of Father's Day or Valentine's or it's sunny or it's, it's, it's not great. Like if it's suddenly a banging hot day and you've got, you know you've got sitting in your archive an exceptional photograph of a frozen drink where the frost is just like you want to lick the screen. Just pop, you know, recrop it and pop that image out. I mean, never be afraid to recrop images. I think um, if I can step in, Please. that's a really good idea, especially with classics. Mm. Like you can never have too many pictures of an old fashioned mm. or a martini. Also, you can you can <laughs> lie and say that an old fashioned is like any kind of dark brown stud or on the rocks drink that you want. So if you have some great Clyde drink, a classic, like a whiskey soda drink, it, yeah, just uh, for me, I think it's really important to have those basics in your arsenal shot really well. Yeah, often often with clients, I'll say like, if I'm doing if I'm doing a new menu shoot for a bar, on, on the occasions that we'll um, have some time left at the end, even like a cheeky half hour on the slot, and they're out of the key drinks they want to serve. I always say that rather than squeezing in a drink you're working on, which it may not end up looking like that when you're finished, it's much better that we like. Let's put a martini in the bank. Let's put like a, let's put an old fashioned or a Manhattan. Let's put a nice sour in there. Let's put the things you you know that customers are going to order, because we know historically they sell. Mm. Mm-hmm. so why not do that what about the composition of the photo Eddie? so we talked about like shooting yep. near a window but um 
you know, I guess it's another good tip would be to just look at how how professional photographers shoot and and try and imitate it. But look, thinking about things like the rule of thirds, and yeah, you know, okay. attempting to kind of. Uh, you know, have like a Fibonacci spiral taking place, like some sort of piece of Renaissance art. You know, <laughs> what what props should you support the photo with? I guess a lot of, some of that comes down to the identity of the brand itself. Um, so my advice on all this side, so the, the first one is um, turn your grid on on your phone. There, there's a function in every phone on every camera, like every camera, even these ten thousand pound medium format cameras and twenty thirty thousand pound medium cameras. There's a function to turn a grid on on the back of your screen. Um, I know that on iPhones, it's in like your settings photo, and then there's just a grid on button. Uh, in cameras, you often have the choice between a four by four grid, which means just a vertical line and a horizontal, or a three by three grid, um, which means it splits your screen into nine equal squares or rectangles. Um, always put that on because it ensures two things. It means your level and your drink are always horizontal and vertical respectively. That's absolutely key. That should be the first thing when you're taking a photograph to make sure of. Nobody wants, you know, it's the old thing we used to look at, like our parents' holiday photos, and and it would always look like somebody was a bit leany, or the the sea was going downhill, or you know, or the building was a bit falling over. You by turning the grid on, you make sure that everything is vertical. So that's that's always a great thing. And then on your grid, if you if possible, put the the three by three grid lines on. And a great rule of thumb is you you want your information, i.e., your drink or your bottle, if you're a brand. Um, to sit on one of those lines. It, you either want it to sit on the center, bang in the middle of your frame, so in the middle of a square grid, or overlapping one of your three by three um, vertical lines. Uh, and it's just because the eye is very naturally drawn to those. It's a very loose rule of thumb, and how you split the screen is quite important. As you were saying, you can go Fibonacci and Golden Square on it, which is, you can then apply, you know, it, it's, a, it's a rule of thumb for aesthetics that applies all the way back through Renaissance paintings. We've been following it for that long for a reason. It's not that it was created, it's that our eye naturally likes those ratios, and we've just worked out mathematically what creates what, Fascinating, what isn't it? Because, like, that, because yeah. those ratios occur in nature, that must be why it's so pleasing to us. Yeah, and it's yet, exactly we that. don't spend any time recognizing that as a, as a fact, you know? Snail, the, the, it, you know, it's the decreasing circles on snail shells, it's the curl of a fern, it's the way the branches show, glow, sunflower seeds, all of those. It's just that ratio, and you apply it to everything you apply. It. So stick the grid on your phone. Um, now we sound like we've overcomplicated it. You need to imagine, you know, basically appreciate the beauty of a snail and then take your photo in the appropriate way. It, I remember there was a piece of advice given to me when I started taking photos for drinks, and it was actually by um, a, a bar owner. And he was saying, and I think it's great advice for bartenders and for photographers alike, is look outside your medium for inspiration. Drink, I think some of my favorite drink creators don't seek drink inspiration from other drink creators. I think bars that emulate other bars end up with limited creativity. And I would say that once you have a knowledge of the technicalities of photographing food and drink, which aren't actually very complex, they're precise and technical, but they're not complex. You should then be seeking inspiration from things like snails or Renaissance paintings or architecture or war photography. If you want to go for like, you know, I remember when I used to shoot events, uh, which is how I came up. It wasn't when I could handle staying out working till five in the morning. I didn't look to other event photographers. I was looking to like Vietnam photographers or Spanish Civil mm -hmm. War painting. I was looking to those kind of sources of composition because if anything, it just keeps your brain engaged. And if your brain's engaged, it's interesting. If it's interesting, it's fun. Yeah, I think this is that's good relevant advice to bars as well. But since so many bars these days aren't just a bar, they are sort of themed or styled in one direction or another. I mean, you know, Dead Rabbit's a good example, right? Um, you know, everything had this sort of comic book, um, you know, mm. the 300 style, you know, and, and Gangs of New York sort of edge to it. And, you know, do you think that when you were there, the, I mean, it wasn't just photography, of course, it was like cartoon art, but everything sort of adopted that style, didn't it? Yeah, um, that was like a very conscious thing that Sean and Jack chose to do. So when Zeb Rabbit opened, it was very like old timey Irish pub. The music was like kind of Irish twiddly stuff. Uh, the pictures on the walls were all like old Irish paintings and photography. Um, and then they wanted to ensure that they were continuing to innovate and uh, stay relevant and to grow. So they slowly changed all of that. The paintings were all swapped out for photography. The music changed, the color scheme changed, the comic books changed, or the menus changed 
from their like illustrated books, um, like big books into into comic books. So yeah, everything kind of changed step by step, including the photography style as well. So it was a conscious thing and it, it kind of, it happened slowly, but I can see it might have looked mm. like it happened really quickly. I'm not sure. Like painting the outside. I know they're doing that now. So it won't be green anymore. I think it's going to be black and black. Black and, and red. red seems to be their palette of colors, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's kind of it's a bold and aggressive, yeah. isn't it? That's why I say 300. It reminds me a lot. Yeah. Of, I can't remember who the comic book artist was that did 300, but it's all black and red, right? You know? <laughs> It's the, the idea that obviously Dead Rabbit is based on John Morrissey, who was the leader of the Dead Rabbits, who died in the 1800s. The idea is that the new Dead Rabbit is John Morrissey resurrected. So everything kind of pre-2018 was John Morrissey, like the legend, um, the Irish legend, and now it's all about him being resurrected. It's 100 years after his death. So it went from 1800s into 1900s, and it's based in, in New York. John Morrissey lived and died in New York. Um, I love that side of Dead Rabbit because Dead Rabbit, the five points where John Morrissey operated uh, is where Dead Rabbit is. It's like around the area. It no longer exists because they introduced landfill and changed the streets because they were the worst slums in America at the time. But Dead Rabbit is where John Morrissey used to used to do his bare knuckle fighting and then he became a politician and he had a statesman burial. Um, it's a really fascinating story and they take all of their inspiration from the life and times of John Morrissey. It's just now it's taken a different, um, a different yeah. thing. He's like, yeah, back, back from the dead and he's angry. But what Addy was saying about taking inspiration from different industries, I think that's really important. Mm. And yeah, Sean looked at the, the film industry for that. He's big film fans, so like old films that he liked and comic books and stuff like that. Because if you look at other bars, you're not really going to end up innovating. You're going to end up emulating what someone else is doing. Which is, thanks for getting me back to my original point. That's exactly it. I mean, if you're, let's say you're a bar where you're sort of focusing on nature and botanicals and that kind of stuff, which of, of which there are plenty, um, especially with the kind of gin boom going on. It's like, you know, botanical with, you know, all, all, you know, lots of greenery and plants and stuff. You know, that would be an opportunity to look at nature photography, I would imagine, or, or illustration, and then try and adopt some of those principles into your drinks photography. Back to the snail thing, really, right? Imagine you're shooting a snail, but it's actually a cocktail. Or even if it's just an emotion, like sometimes I think, um, I think it's 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 Rob, isn't it? The shot of the seed lip, Rob Lawson, I think shot all the seed lip stuff, and it has such a lovely combination of being of its time cont contemporaneously, where it's very much sort of long, hard shadows and minimal um, setup on the frame, but also the colours are very muted and natural. And that mm. reflects everything that Seedler does, where it's very historic and forward thinking. Now, like those, that's also what you can do with your photography is step. I, I would say the same with drinks construction and bar ideas. Step back from it a little bit. Think about where your idea came from. Like I think the thing with, um, with Jack and Sean is very true as well, that they're very good at getting into the nitty gritty and then taking a step back and going right where, what's, what direction are we heading? And I think that is often missing uh, in people's social media accounts and bars. And I think there could be a bit more of that in the content. It's, I know I know it's so instant and instantaneous and engaging and social, but also have a bit of an idea about where you want to be going or where you want to come from and use your imagery and your language and your storytelling to convey that. I think Black Rock is a very good example of that as well. Um, the, the, the messaging is part mm. of a wider picture and the, the design ethos inside a bar should also bleed into mm. the style of photography or not or jar against it. But if it jars against it, be consistent. Like I do a lot of work with scarves and um, we did some work on a new menu and it's, it, you know, we, we all sat down together and it's really lovely as a photographer when you get to sit down. This is the, the bar at the Rosewood hotel in London. The bar at the Rosewood and Hoban in central London. Um, I sit down whenever we work on the menu together and we sit down and we talk about what the ideas were for the drinks. Where did the drinks come from? What was the conversation? And then you have a, what do you want it to refer to just the conversation of where does your engagement come from in social media? What publications do you want your content to go into? Like who, who calls, what press call in, what press don't call in and how can we gauge them? You know, Oh, you want to be in wallpaper. Well, wallpaper only take a certain aesthetic of image or is it in stylus where it's big, bright, bold colors, or is it in, you know, whoever. And I think your photography and all your social media content should be both conscious of your demographic, i.e. your, outgoing consumption and also 
where you your integrity is where you as an organization as an individual are coming from yeah i think i suppose another way to look at it is you know when you're operating a bar you're already trying to create an experience for your guests that sort of goes beyond just the service of a drink generally i mean some bars are are just perfect places to go and have a drink and to not have to think about other things but for a lot of modern cocktail bars it's about this experience that you know runs right through the service from everything from lighting to music to decor to the drinks themselves the you know the uniforms the bartenders are in and so really the social media presence is just another extension of that whole brand identity isn't it except that quite often it's given to in my experience quite um junior members of pr teams yeah and i think a lot of buyers also outsource their social media um if you work with someone who's great then that's no problem but um, I think it's really important to work with someone who understands your brand, knows what your tone of voice is, knows what you want to communicate. Um, and that goes down to the music that you play in your venue, the staff that you employ, obviously the style of drink, the style of your interiors. Like Kalu Clay had a very quirky uh, way of communicating with people. Dead Rabbit, um, they actually use a copywriter, Connor, who's based in Ireland. Um, he he's, writes a lot of kind of historically relevant things, but in a contemporary way that engages with people in New York and people in Ireland, uh, because Dead Rabbit's majority of their following is actually in Ireland as opposed to in the US online. Um, but I think it's really important to have someone who understands those intricacies that he's not, he's writing for a split mm. audience. It's really important. And that's why Dead Rabbit posts always go up at 5 p.m. I mean, you know, it's no surprise that the bars that win so many accolades and so much love put so much thought into these things and from who manages the content, what, who writes it, how it's written. I, I, I think there's a good lesson there. Be a bit thoughtful about it. Have, have, have an idea. What about the approach um, of asking like the whole team to generate content for social media? So I think, I think it's probably something you'd have to be quite honest about with your followers, but allowing everyone to kind of contribute a little bit to this, perhaps having, you know, someone who's in charge of, you know, formatting and editing it, but, you know, basically allowing the team to, to take the photos and all the, and even if they're not great photos, but it's, you know, a very natural approach to it. I mean, my, my view is it's entirely up to you. If you're doing that, I think it's, you need to adjust your expectations for the output. It's a bit like saying, would you let your bar team design the interior of your bar? Mm. Um, like sure. And you go like, Hey, we, we, as a collective designed this bar, we chose the color. We put the pictures up. The result will be less slick, less professional, more eclectic, but owned by them more inconsistent. And I think you get the same with the output. I think that's a good example. Actually, if you hire an interior designer, you're going to get a slicker output. Conversely, if you're a bar owner or a bar manager and you have a great aesthetic, why not? What, what you will never have is the same level of expertise as if you hire a professional mm. and that goes the same for content managers prs marketing yeah i think that um in every bar team there are people you'll have someone who's kind of worked a little bit in photography or maybe a little bit in content creation and has a bit of experience but i think there's a lot to be said for giving those people the opportunity to do a bit like maybe when addy's not there doing a shoot you can give you can give a bartender the responsibility like here we're giving this to you like you're in charge of this now, you take the pictures for this event or for this drink special that we're doing. Like when I was working at Kalukle, I started as a reservationist and they said, or I said, can I, I want to do the social media. And that's how this industry started for me. It wasn't through any qualification similar to you, Addy, it was through learning. So I think we can play to different people's skill sets, but I think for social media and marketing in general, consistency is so important. I mean, if it's something that, if, as I say, if it's something that people want to do and really care about it, then surely part of your job as any bar manager or bar owner is to develop your team. And if you've got someone who's great at it and wants to get better at it, of course, employ them. Of course, get them to do it. Like if they become a professional photographer, you've helped their career. What a wonderful gift to someone. It's likely to be a sort of cheaper approach to doing things, right? Because you can pay someone a bit extra or perhaps give them less shifts. Um, and divert some of their time towards managing the social, social media things rather than employing a fully qualified professional or outsourcing it to a PR company who may actually have no real idea about what it is you're trying to communicate anyway. I think fees, fee structures will get shaken up. I think also a lot of people who don't love what they do, uh, like both in Rebecca's sector, my sector and your sector, I think a lot of the people who no longer love that will start to 
uses an opportunity to step back, which I think is a really good thing. You know, hopefully we can have a bit of passion, uh, a bit more passion, all these aspects. Oh, well, we want more, we want more people doing the things they love doing, don't we? Generally, um, that's good. Um, well, talk, getting back to sort of uh, posting and everything, what, what, are, how do we manage? We talked a little bit about sort of managing reservation inquiries, but what about things like negative comments or indeed positive comments? Should you respond to every positive comment with the same copy and paste? Thanks for your comment. Can't wait to see you again. Um, and how do you deal with negative stuff as well? I think uh, with negative stuff, if it's on social media, take it off. I mean, don't delete the comment, but take the interaction offline as soon as you can. I think if you delete it, then you kind of invalidate their their experience and you're taking away their their opportunity to share. And that's just generally not a nice thing to do to someone, even if they are slagging you off. Um, but take that experience off Instagram and get them to email you and sort it off away from that, you always try and flip a negative into a positive with anything like that. So you mean like just DM them to try and get it into... Yeah. yeah. Hey, can I have your email address? My manager's like, I'm so sorry, my manager's going to send you an email. It will be in touch straight away and make sure that actually happens. Um, I think with positive comments, I'm a big fan. If you're getting a big influx, like congratulations, that's very really good. Uh, emoji responses, I quite like. I just like... Uh, but I, 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 I love emojis. Um, I would say definitely steer clear of copy and paste because it's inauthentic. It's not genuine. Mm. People are going to see it. They're going to know that it's just a copy and paste job. Even uh, what we did at Deb Rabbit, um, we responded to every TripAdvisor, Yelp, Google, every review, but we personalized it. So it was like, hey, blank, thanks so much for visiting the blank. So that would be tap room, parlor or occasional room. And then something personal. So so pleased to hear that you enjoyed your Irish coffee mm. or your burger. I'll let Genesis or Jessica or whoever it was who was working, that's another blank. Um, so we have mm. the templates, but you personalize it every time. Also, TripAdvisor and Yelp have filters so that if you post, if you do copy and paste, it comes up like ding, ding. Oh, really? Yeah, so you have to, you have to change it. We've talked a bit about Dead Rabbit. Hey, guys, have you got any other... Um examples of venues uh we talked about the kebab place as well who are really nailing it on social media right now i mean i, th I think i think there's a there's a conversation about um what like defining nailing it like i think there's a few standout individuals and brands that i think are being very honest at the moment which i think is quite standout for me and they're the people i tend to engage with quite a lot i think also i i very much respect people who play slightly away from slightly left of mainstream so those brands who are being quite honest about the current situation without being terrifyingly pessimistic tread a really lovely fine line for me. Um, and I, they're, they're, they're resonating and I think their content's quite strong. I think it's like vulnerability, right? Like we've been doing that a bit with Sun Tavern social media because we've had the opportunity to be really appreciative of the people who've ordered from the online store because they've literally saved the businesses that that money helped to pay the rent and there have been no job losses which i think is really special and it's because of the people who who ordered online so it's really nice to be able to use um social media to say thank you like uh, as well as emailing everyone who placed an order uh and emailing not like a mail list dump but um i emailed everyone and then being able to like be vulnerable on social media i think that's important because you can't just pretend that everything's fine when people are losing their jobs, bars are closing. Mm. Like One of my favorite accounts, I don't think they're still doing it anymore, um, but they've used this to their benefit in numerous ways, not just on social media, but with their general marketing, is my um, friend Lyndon Higginson's uh, chain of pizza restaurants, Crazy Pedro's. They, they post up negative reviews mm -hmm. um, that they get in a sort of ironic way. And they've even had like a boards outside with like, not just not negative reviews, like scathing reviews, like three star <laughs> reviews, like the most sort of average, but slightly, you know, like I've got a few complaints to make it's okay kind of review. Um, and that that's, it shows vulnerability, but also shows humor as well, doesn't it? And that's a win-win from pretty much every perspective, isn't it? I mean, also, it's a, it's a great bit about brand integrity in that it reflects Linden particularly well. I think we go back to that thing of consistency of voice yeah. and content. But also it shows a confidence in your product that you are, you're so confident in its quality that you can show an, an average review um, publicly and you know that the people are going to come in and buy pizza from you anyway. Yeah. I think something like that as well has the potential to 
go further because people will take yeah. pictures of it and share it. And then it's like you're getting exactly. other people to market your your idea, which is ideal. I would also um, say public in Sheffield. Yeah. I think their social media is really good and just everything visual that they do, the design and the menus. And, and I think really different, certainly to anything that I've really seen recently. I think it's really beautiful. Great stuff. Right, guys, a little bit of self-promotion before we go. Addy, where can people get in touch for quite expensive photos? <laughs> uh, for for um, well-priced, high-quality photography imagery, uh, I'm just on social media at Addy Chin, A-double-D-I-E-C-H-I-double-N, or online at uh, addychin.com. Rebecca, do you want to talk about Discard? Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, I guess in March, me and my friend Gareth launched Discard, which is... Uh, an independent zine um it's just a little a5 kind of 60 70 page um compilation of 13 articles per quarter um covering different different topics we kind of wanted to originally the idea was to have a catalog of failures uh because i think we don't celebrate or talk enough about failure enough in, in our industries and talking to friends who had had uh, had to close bars or it had like a book deal that hadn't gone through and just kind of bad things happen. They don't talk about it. Um, we realized that was quite depressing. So we dialed that down a bit, um, but try and cover topics that aren't really in, um, in mainstream uh, trade magazines. Not that we have any issues with those magazines, but things like um, Liam Davies spoke about closing bad sports. Um, our friend Rosie at Three Sheets, wrote about London's gay bars because I think we as a bar industry really never talk about gay bars and I think that's quite yeah. strange. Like they're a big part of the bar industry and they're just completely left out of the of the conversation. Um, things, yeah, di- diversity, which I know is a buzzword at the moment, so I want to use that sparingly because I don't want to use it as a way to capitalise yeah. on that topic. Um, but basically different topics that we wanted to discuss and give a platform to people. But like if I'm going to be completely honest because – we wanted to like moan about stuff and it's self-funded. So there's no adverts, there's no branded content. Um, it's all just people writing about their experiences. Yeah, it's super cool. I've, you've done two issues to date, haven't you? And it's, there's like a really limited number of print copies, but it's available digitally online, right? Yeah, we do 250 print copies and we send them out for free um, anywhere in the world. So this time we did 25 countries, which is really it's really cool, actually, and because we like self-address the envelopes and everything, we take them to the post office. So it's cool when you're writing addresses in like India and Kenya, and you're like, how did these people find out about this? Uh, it's online to read for free at discardthezine.com. And um, the next one will be out in October. Guys, thank you so much for coming on. That's like super insightful from both of you. Um, I am personally um, walking away from this podcast with better equipped to manage social media for my venues and i'm sure that anyone listening will feel the same way so thanks ever so much for your time thank you thanks for having me thank you for tuning in to today's episode of bar chat visit diagiobaracademy.com for access to more podcast episodes and exclusive content see you next time